Premier, thanks so much for joining us. Always nice to chat. Oh, my pleasure, Shay. I, and you're my first year-end interview. And really? I'm jet-lagged, so <laughs> go easy on me. Oh, of course. <laughs> you know what I was saying earlier today? It's kind of these year-end ones, are they're, they're a little more laid back. I look forward to them. We, we don't have to get as contentious around the issues as we might at other times. You know how it works. But I, I want to ask you, COP28, you went over to Dubai with uh, a sizable delegation of about 100 Albertans. What's your takeaway? We saw the statement that came out. You and your your minister sort of taking a victory lap and thinking you'd won some concessions along with other uh, petrol states and the rest. What's your takeaway from what happened in Dubai over the last couple of weeks? I, you know, I have to tell you, I can't believe that Alberta and Saskatchewan have allowed for the federal government to represent us at these tables without us being there. Uh, there there's no way that I would allow that in future. When they get down to these negotiations, look at what happened. Stephen Gibault was running around announcing things that aren't even in his jurisdiction, not allowing us in advance to know what they were, asking us to sign NDA agreements. And he announced an emissions cap on oil and gas, a methane emissions cap, as well as um, uh, a new program to subsidize the uh, farmers for uh, reducing the emission, methane emissions from, from cow belches. I mean, these are the kind of things that cooperative federal, federalism should require that we go in with a common strategy. And I can tell you, um, Gibo was working with uh, against us at every point. Uh, he would have been more than happy to see language that would have required a phase-out completely of oil and natural gas. And I can tell you, I think it's because there were a lot of allies at the provincial level, other subnational governments, in addition to those who are uh, producing these products. We know that we can reduce emissions dramatically with carbon capture utilization and storage, hydrogen, ammonia, and that's the direction that we need to go. So I, I look at it that we, we didn't win a full victory against Ottawa, but what, a, what an absolute shame that they were working against our interests while we were there. But I, I think we, got, we had some good allies and I think that we've got a plan that, that we'll be able to, to work forward to with carbon neutrality by 2050. You know, and working against Alberta Pines, and I wanted to ask you about a couple of the things that have come up. And, I, you know, I know the emissions cap and, and it's some call it a production cap. I know that's a major one for sure. But, you know, you talk about the cattle and, and the cow belches, and that made a lot of headlines this week. Your government's been working on that for a long, long time. You talk about methane reductions within the province of Alberta. Your own documents have 75% by 2014. So they're, they're not that out of step with the federal government. I mean, isn't there some common ground there? I mean, not all of it is diametrically opposed to what's already happening in Alberta. Yeah, and I, I guess there could be common ground as long as um, they worked with us and deferred to us and acknowledged that we are making progress, like they do with British Columbia, for instance. British Columbia has had its own carbon tax, and it's a carve-out from the federal po- uh, po- uh, policy, and so they're able to operate it independently. They're wanting to layer on top of all of the things that we already have that are working. And I'm telling you, I think it's going to be another cash grab, that what they're looking at doing is uh, taxing our industry to generate revenues so that they can spend it in eastern Canada. It's the same old story that we've seen over and over again. And that's part of the reason we're putting a hard line on this. When I came, when I started looking at some of the the comments that Jonathan Wilkinson, the natural resources minister, was making, talking about how emissions reduction and increasing production is incompatible, that says to me 100% what they're doing is a production cap. They're trying to dress it up in different language, but it's a production cap. There is there is no there, there is no room in the Constitution for the federal government to come in I identify a particular industry 
and propose a particular policy like this. So we can work with them on the broad-based approach of reducing overall emissions, but they can't come in here sneakily trying to put through a policy that they just simply don't have the constitutional right to do. So we're going to fight them on that every step of the way. How can they at the same time be, you know, stealing the resource revenue to spend it in Eastern Canada, as they always have, and, and wanting that tax revenue to give away in Eastern Canada, and at the same time try and destroy the industry? They're working across purposes. How do they make sense? Well, I can tell you, uh, this is this is the, the question that we have for them. We know that the kind of emissions cap that they were proposing of a 42% reduction by, by 2030, that would reduce the amount of barrels we're able to produce by 1.3 million barrels per day. Um, if you look at even the current value of about $50 on Western Canada Select, that would deprive us of $6.5 billion worth of revenue. Meanwhile, they want to charge our energy industry $50, $50 per ton for their emissions. So that's how they're doing it. They're continuing to constrict our ability to produce wealth here, but they're going to be taking more off the top if, uh, if, the, if their emissions cap goes ahead. So you bet. Uh, they have an, a chaotic, incoherent policy. Our policy is let's continue production, let's reduce emissions, let's work together, and let's make sure that our friends and allies have the energy that they need. And I, I think that that is, uh, you're going to see that we'll, we'll have to continue that fight over the coming years. The work together piece there. Um, forgive me if I don't see a lot of that. Some of the language that you've been using to describe uh, Stephen Guibault over the past 24 days. I don't think there's a lot of room for cooperation and collaboration. You've called him treacherous. Uh, you just called him sneaky. Um, what is the end? What, what, if, if this all comes to bear, let's say a year from now, what's the relationship between Daniel Smith and the Liberal government in Ottawa look like? I mean, have you abandoned all hope of a collaborative approach? I know behind the scenes there's lots of things that are working. I mean, you, you showed up with Christian Freeland at an announcement for Dow Chemicals a couple of weeks ago. So there are things happening, but ultimately, what's the goal? Well, I hope they fire Stephen Guibault. I mean, he's demonstrated that he doesn't follow the law, doesn't listen to the courts, doesn't follow the Constitution. He shows up at these international meetings wanting to brag to his friends that he's doing so, uh, doing more, more than anybody else. And he's creating real disruption in this country. And I'll be very clear with the, with the Prime Minister that I think we can reset our relationship, but we, we need a new environment minister. I, I actually get along very well with uh, Francois-Philippe Champagne. He, he sat next to me at one of the dinners that, uh, that we were at. He's worked with us collaboratively on everything from air products to Dow Chemical to de Havilland. And I I think he understands. I've I've not met a minister at the federal level who is such a champion of every region and every project as Champagne is. And I wish more of that spirit imbued the the, the federal liberals because by by taking this good cop, bad cop approach, I, I think they're creating a real and unnecessary division. So I will work with every minister who I think puts Alberta's interests first along the lines that I've seen with Champagne, um, but I can tell you, so Gibo does not. He's working against our interests, and I'm going to call him out for it every step of the way. Uh, aside from the Ottawa issue, let's bring it closer to home uh, here in Alberta and um, the issues that I hear about all the time, and I know people have taken up with you personally on your show. Uh, first and foremost is healthcare and, and the situation that we're dealing with right now. Uh, you promised to get to work on this. was a major part of your campaign. Uh, you famously said, uh, give us 90 days. It's going to be rocky for 90 days, and you were hoping for some patience. And that was about 390 days ago now, and it sounds like things are worse now than they were then. Swing and a miss, where are we with healthcare? We made some great progress in those first few months. Um, we reduced the amount of wait time in emergency rooms by 17%. We were reducing the amount of surgical uh, waits by 1,000 a month. We uh, were also um, eliminated red alerts, and then the election happened. 
and we came back and we found that things had regressed. And one of the things I'm greatly disappointed about is one of the mandates that I gave to Alberta Health Services is we know like clockwork, every year we get into a fall respiratory virus season. We need to increase ICU capacity. We need to make sure that we've got acute care capacity. And once again, they failed. Um, we, when I, we have to recall, you have to remember. What, I've been watching this very closely because back in April of 2020, we had 295 acute care beds, and there was a plan to increase it to a thousand. Well, where are we today? 223 acute care be- uh, or ICU beds. And, and that's the real problem is that we have the ability to manage patients when they come in, but we have a, a healthcare system that continues to underperform. And so we've uh, made some new changes and I'm not going to take no for an answer because we, we need to make sure that we get our ICU capacity up. We have to have enough uh, acute care beds to ensure that we've got places for people with our growing population. We need to eliminate surgical backlogs. We also need to make sure that we're not causing our ambulance, uh, uh, our ambulances and our, our, our highly trained paramedics to sit on park for hours and hours on end. And we have to make sure everyone has a, a family practitioner. So those are, are the non-negotiables for me. And I think people should now see that I'm serious about it. Uh, we, we eliminated the original Alberta Health Services Board. I put in a, an official administrator. We didn't make enough progress. We've got a new board in place. We've got a new uh, uh, chair. We've got a, a new CEO and we're going to make real progress. We have to. Yeah, I would agree. And, and you know, with all due respect, I think if, if there's a mom or a dad sitting at the salary right now with their kid and they're on hour eight to get in to see a doc, they don't care. They, they, they don't want to know about progress that's going to happen in the next two, three years. And some of the timelines on some of the changes are a couple of years. They need help now. Um, so what, what what's being done to try and alleviate what doctors uh, have reached out to me multiple times in the past week saying, we're at a crisis here. We need help. This is we're We're on our knees here. Yep. We, one of the things is we've got to make sure that everyone has a family practitioner. It's why we are creating a program to give more dollars to doctors to take on more patients. We're also allowing nurse practitioners to establish their own practices. That's got to be number one because that's one of the ways that we can reduce the pressure on the emergency rooms is if everybody has access to a primary care practitioner when their kid has a fever or they, they need to be able to get some medical advice. So that has already been announced and will be rolling out. And then uh, we, we are also focusing on Alberta Health Services. Think of Alberta Health Services. It should be Alberta Hospital Services. They run 106 facilities for us. They should be running the very best acute care and hospital services anywhere in the country. And so that's part of the reason for the refocusing. In addition, continuing care. One of the pressures that we have in hospital is a number of people awaiting placement in long-term care. That's going to have a separate focus under our continuing care plan. I've recruited Jason Nixon to see what we can do to make sure that we're filling those beds. And that will allow once again, for us to have more capacity on the acute care side. Uh, so those are the, those are the, the three main pillars. Um, here's what I would say. We have watched this system deteriorate ever since the single health super board came in 2008. Yeah, yeah. And we've watched uh, premier after premier, health minister after health minister, just defer, say there's nothing we can do, give them more money. Yep. We trust AHS. And I've said, no, I don't. I'm I'm tired of the snow job. I'm tired of being told, just trust us. We got this when we don't. The more money we give, the worse the performance. So I would say I wished I'd been able to make a lot more enduring progress in the first year. Uh, We'll try a bunch of things um, and we're going to make it work. We have to. It's It's the number one cost item that taxpayers are paying for. They deserve to have the very best system and we have to deliver it. Uh, another issue, speaking of cost, that I hear about all the time is, is cost of living. Uh, and we 
had a story yesterday, actually, where uh, in some ways it, you know, it was being characterized as the Alberta advantage is disappearing. StatsCan just last week coming out with their basic measure of, you know, this is what making a living costs. You know, wh- how much is the cost of a good living in Canada? Calgary is now the most expensive city in Canada. Edmonton is number four, and they're within 500 bucks of each other. And in the middle is Toronto and Vancouver, which we have always thought, and indeed, we've campaigned in those markets saying, hey, it's so much better in Alberta. It's not. Uh, the, the basic cost of living has now surpassed those cities when you talk about Calgary, and it's knocking on the door in Edmonton. We've got housing costs soaring, insurance rates are higher, utility rates are higher. What's going on, and how concerned are you that that Alberta advantage appears to be eroding? Oh, electricity is the the biggest problem that we have right now. When I saw that uh, electricity was going up to 32 cents a kilowatt hour, clear sign that the the market's broken, the system's broken. So my my electricity and affordabilities minister, Nathan Newdorf, is in the process of getting uh, recommendations for how we're going to address that. And one of the things I saw, he spoke to the chamber this week, the changes that he will make will get our electricity prices down below 10 cents a kilowatt hour in an insuring way. And that's going to make a a huge difference for people um, is on cost of living. And it's uh, the past year has been a a real exposure of what happens when we phased out coal too early without a plan for how we were going to make sure we had baseload on on stream to to replace it. So uh, it's a problem I inherited, but we have to address it. And we'll have more detail on that in the next uh, couple of, of months. In addition, insurance. We used to be the market where people would come from elsewhere saying, yeah. oh, I'm so glad I'm here because my insurance rates are, are lower. When was the last time you heard that? We haven't. So we uh, did an interim uh, measure because I think what people want to see is that if I've got a good driving record and I haven't been in an accident and I haven't gotten tickets, then my insurance rates shouldn't go up. So that was the edict that, uh, that we gave to the insurance companies and we're still working with them to find a way to make sure that those rates come down in a long term way but uh, that's another system that's broken i don't think we have all the answers yet but we have uh, we're in the process still of, of trying to figure that out and we're hoping that this um this change that we made will give our good drivers a bit of a, an alleviation in the new year but there, there's more work that needs to be done there for sure when it comes to to rents we, we, we have a um, – Jason Nixon has been working with Rick McIver to see what we could do to accelerate the construction of new homes, accelerate yeah. the construction of rental properties, because that's the solution, is that the, we have to be able to keep up with growth. And when I hear proposals – like I have from a Calgary council member saying, hey, just help us out with this transportation project and that one, and we would be able to increase uh, housing starts by 20,000. I heard another a story from a council member in Edmonton along those same lines. Those are the things that we're looking for, is how can we strategically invest with our partners at the municipal level and make sure that that construction begins. We're doing an inventory right now of all of the properties that we own. Is there a way that we can give low-cost land to, um, to developers so that we can develop more affordable rental housing? Is there a way that we can partner with our municipalities so that we can provide an education property tax re- reprieve for those um, those homes that are, are going to be to be built that, so that they can be more affordable? So we have a whole series of things that, that we're working on, but uh, those are the three things that I know are, are really creating a pinch. And we've got to make sure that uh, we're working together to to, to make sure that the, the, uh, the housing comes on stream. What's the, what's the timeline? I know people are listening and thinking, holy cow, but I, I got my bill just arrived. I'm taking a look at my electricity bill. What's the timeline on here? I mean, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, but how long do we need to wait? 
Electricity is, we've got three major projects that are coming into completion and on stream by mid next year, adding 2,700 megawatts of natural gas power to the grid. So we're, we're, we're talking about um, sort of a six month period okay. and they've already come down. They've, they came down from 32 cents a kilowatt hour. I think they're at 16 cents a kilowatt hour too high, but we're, we're heading in the right direction there with insurance. Again, we, we don't want to, to wait forever with, uh, with the insurance companies on coming up with some solutions. I think that my finance minister asked for an extra six months for us to uh, figure out some of the strategies that work so by mid-next year. And when it comes to the, the rental housing, that's a, a little more yeah. of a long-term option, unfortunately. But I, I think that you see everybody is gripped with this. Federal government, municipal governments in, in, our, in our major cities, and, and we want to make sure that we're doing whatever we can to, to support the construction of private sector housing. One of the things you did uh, as an immediate remedy for cost of living was the gas tax. Now, price of gas has come down quite nicely. It's uh, You can get it for under a buck in some places right now in Alberta. What's the future of that? At, at January 1st, that's supposed to come back into effect, correct? Or do I have that wrong? Here's the deal that we uh, we had with um, with Albertans, that when we're making a lot of money from resource revenues, we're going to make sure that we are reducing the cost on them from the fuel tax. And so the program we have in place is when oil and gas is over $90, there will be no fuel tax. When it's under a, um uh, when it's under eighty dollars, and we're talking about West, uh, West, um, West Texas Intermediate, then the the the, uh, the tax comes back. As you've seen, we've had a lot of uncertainty around our oil prices. I think that they drip, they dip below seventy dollars, yeah. coming back a little bit. But we have to make sure that we're managing our revenues for the for the long term. Um, and I'm, I can tell you, my finance minister is is gravely concerned that with these softening prices, we have more people coming into the province. We need to build more schools, more hospitals. We need to make sure that we're hiring enough doctors, nurses, teachers. And we, we can't keep on cutting our long-term dependable rev- revenue sources. So because oil is now below $80, we figured that this was the time for us to return to that program. But if it goes back up to, to 90 then we'll, we'll take it off again. We've made that program permanent. So people will be able to get that break depending on, on what our, our oil prices are. The biggest thing we need to do, is get the federal government to stop levying increasing taxes on us. Not only do they have the fuel tax, but they also have the carbon tax. We've been asking the NDP to work with us to make that a condition of the federal government, uh, the federal NDP's continued support of the NDP and or of the Liberals, and they refuse to do that. Uh, we asked them to join us in uh, in asking for a carbon tax reprieve on home heating. They refuse to do that too. So um, I would say that that this is the frustrating part that we have is that we've got a federal government that continues to make life more unaffordable for people and we've uh, we, we've got to we've got to address this at the federal level we're, we're going to continue putting pressure on them um, addressing things at the federal level I did want to ask you where are we on the whole prospect of an Alberta pension plan was that dip a toe in the water it's it's too cold let's let's abandon this I mean are we done with that exercise or could that come back at another time we are a bit worried that the federal government is going to interfere in an independent process of their chief actuary to give us a, an assessment of what the transfer dollars should be. I mean, we, we put our we showed our work, we put out the, the life work report about um, how much we have overpaid year after year, um, compounded with interest over that period of time. What that ret- what that amount was? It was three hundred and thirty four billion dollars. That's that's the formula right in the act. Um, so they've disputed that, and we said, okay, come back to us and tell us what it is. So uh, the 
Pacific actuary has said that they're going to. Um, but we have to make sure that the that, that is done with what the actual legislation says. So my finance minister is in Ottawa right now. There's going to be a meeting of the finance ministers tomorrow. We are trying to get carbon tax reprieve on the on the agenda as well. But uh, he, he's he's make, he's we're, we're going to continue watching to see uh, the time frame for when this the, these dollar figures will come back. I hope it doesn't take too long. Uh, we're hoping it takes months, not years, because people need the certainty. Mm-hmm. And if we have a huge dispute, we need to be able to go to the court to be able to resolve it. And then people will know and uh, we'll see whether or not there's an appetite for a vote. You mentioned that dollar figure. I mean, put a likelihood on that. I'd say zero. What would you say that that number is realistic? Uh, I would say that um, I'd rather I'd, I'd rather wait and see what the what assumptions they're making. I mean, the the formula is the formula. It was put in there by Ontario because Ontario wanted to reserve the right to one day start their own plan, and so and we hired Life Work, which was originally Morneau Chappelle. I, I mean, that is not I, I wouldn't have thought that that was a a group uh, not only because of their experience but and their profile, but also because the, of their alignment with the federal Liberals. I would you know I, we tried to find somebody as independent as possible to give us our assessment. The, the fact that the federal government hasn't come back with a, a counter-assessment, we'll, we'll wait and see what they do, and then we'll have to, to make sure that we have that conversation with the public. We'll be very open and transparent about it. And if the appetite isn't there, as I said, we won't have a referendum. If the appetite is there, then we will. Uh, so we're heading into uh, the final days of 2023. What's that look like for Danielle Smith? I mean, you've got this public profile. Do you, do you pull back? I mean, you're everywhere. You're, you're, you're zooming into your radio program from Dubai. Um, when do you start to sort of say, okay, it, it's holiday time? And what does that look like in your world? Well, not this week and not next week. I've got a <laughs> bunch of year-end interviews that I, I need to do. Um, and then I, I have, uh, I think, three major announcements that I'll be at a podium for next week. So you'll have to stay tuned on those. I've got to, to do a check-in with uh, my, my ministers to make sure that there isn't anything that we need to set up for announcement in January. But um, we've got, I, I love I love Christmas time. So I've got my my parents that we normally go for Christmas dinner at, my my husband and his son, I think that uh, the, we'll, we'll end up having a family dinner there. We've got some dear friends as well that we normally see over the, the course of the break. So we'll we'll have we'll have the ability to do a little bit of, of balance on that, probably pretty close to between Christmas and New Year. Well, I wish you all the best of the season, and uh, thank you for always being available and uh, jumping on the air with us, and uh, we'll chat in 2024. You got it. Thanks, Shay.